0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message, titled, Proclaim His Glory, was given by Larry Vold and was the second in our series, Pray This Way. Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 6, please. Find your sermon outline. If you're using that book rack Bible, you'll find that on page 1504, please. Everybody's Bible open. We're in week two of a series we're calling Pray This Way. It's a study of the Lord's Prayer, the most familiar prayer we have anywhere in the Bible. I mean, who doesn't know the Lord's Prayer? And today we come really to the first petition of the prayer. But for the sake of those of you that were not here with us last week, let me give you a little review. We shared last week that first of all, this is a a beautiful invitation that the Lord gives us. When Jesus said, this is how you should pray, he opened his prayer by saying, he's saying we should pray this way, our Father in heaven And that is an invitation. We said last week that the use of the name Father there is a beautiful, endearing term that reminds us that while God is transcendent and holy, like we're going to learn about today, God is still nonetheless inviting us in. He wants us to experience His presence. Just like a child coming into the house and saying, hey, Dad, I need to talk. This is the way God wants us to come to Him. He wants us to experience that father relationship. And then we said last week that this is a communal prayer. It's a prayer that we don't pray necessarily individually. Oh, we, Of course we do, but as we do, we are reminded that we are in community. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This is a community prayer. We pray it in light of the fact that we come together as the body of Christ. There's no individuality that is stressed in this prayer. It's all in community. We also said last week that this is a model prayer. It's not a prayer that necessarily means that we should speak the words of the prayer, although it's a beautiful prayer to recite. And as long as we understand what we're praying and sort of frame our prayer life around this prayer, uh, it 's all good, but if we just do it by rote, if we just do it because it serves some religious function in our life, I think Jesus would say then we 're really no different than the people who want to show off in their prayers or just do a lot of vain babbling. Uh, this is a model prayer it 's used it is to be used to help us a grid, a template to know how to pray. Well, this week, we kick it off with our first of six petitions. And why don't we just go ahead and pray the Lord's Prayer again as we start today. We're going to be doing all that a lot during the series. We'll begin in verse 9. We'll read it from the NIV just so that we can all be together in the same words. And then let's today include the doxology. All right? So let's pray. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, this amazing prayer brings us to the first petition, which is, Hallowed be your name. Now, we start off with a beautiful petition, and yet it's a little confusing to some of us. What does it mean To hallow God's name. A Sunday school teacher asked his third graders if anybody knew the name of God. And one little third grader raised his hand. He said, I know what it is. It's Harold. (laughs) Why is it Harold? Because every week in church we pray, Harold be your name. (laughs) The point of that is that we can be muddy in our words. If we don't enunciate, people really don't know what we're saying. And little children pick that up. Like one little girl thought that the Lord's prayer went, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email. That's not, (laughs) if it's anything, it would be deliver us from email. That's the way I would read that. The point is, we want to be clear in what the words mean. And when we come to the word hallowed, it's not an easy word for a lot of people. Number one, we don't use it in our vocabulary. When was the last time you used the word hallowed? Probably not for a long time, if ever. The word hallowed comes from the Greek word meaning or the Greek word which is hagiazō the noun form of of the verb or excuse me the verb form of the word and it means to be holy it means to be revered it means to be respected it means transcendent it means other than it means great and awesome it means basically everything that we are not in our humanity god is holy in his nature And he has what we called last week a transcendence about him that calls all of humanity before him in recognition that he is someone over us all. He is Lord over all the earth. Make no mistake; he invites us to his banqueting table, but we're not his equal. And that's what the proverb talks about, where it says, "The fear of the Lord is the what? The beginning of wisdom." It's good to track with the fear of the Lord—not a cowering fear. But a recognition that God is in heaven, God is glorious, yes, he's as close to me as the air that I breathe, and yet there's a transcendence about this God that I serve. And so it's really critical that we see today, right up at the start, that what this prayer is saying is that we look at the holiness or the reverence of God as we approach him. So right off, what Jesus is doing is helping us get our prayers started in the right way. And if you're going to take notes this morning, which I hope you will, I want to point out to you what I think uh, this little phrase, hallowed be your name, means for us when we pray this way. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing. Praying this way helps us to focus our attention. Would you say that with me? Focus our attention. Jesus is helping us position himself where he needs to be in the start of our prayers where should our focus be our focus should be on the obvious and yet oftentimes what it isn't our focus needs to be on God when we pray (laughs) you say duh when I pray of course my focus is on God oh is it really I find myself a lot of times rushing into prayer with all the things in my life that God needs to fix God, fix this. Help me with this. I need this over here. God, help me. I'm I'm struggling with this. And it's okay to come to God with our needs. But right here in this model prayer, he's reminding us that where prayer starts is in reverence and focus. It's in recognizing that God is an almighty God. Jesus teaches us to begin our prayer by focusing on him. And by the way, we said it last week, but for those of you that might not have been here, the first three petitions in this prayer are all focused on God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then the modifier to each of those three petitions, on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name on earth as it is As it is in heaven. God, we want your name to be great. It's all about the renown of God in our lives. This is where Jesus says prayer should start. And so, if you're writing down things in your notes, you could also write down that prayer begins with worship, it starts with adoration, it starts with recognizing that God is a God who is transcendent and holy and righteous, and we come to him in humility and contrition. Let's go back to an interesting account in the Old Testament where we discover someone who discovered this transcendence of God. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, second book of the Old Testament. If you're using that book rack Bible, go to page 90, Exodus chapter 3. I love this little text. Now, Moses is is the subject of the text. He's he's gone from a son of Pharaoh to the son of a shepherd, his father-in-law. He's in the backside of the desert, known in a place as a place called Midian. He spent forty years in Egypt. Now he's spending forty years in Midian learning about who he really is. And one day the Bible says, as Moses was out shepherding, he saw a strange sight. He sees a bush that burns, but it is not consumed. So he goes to get a closer look up on Mount Horeb, there where the bush is burning. And there on that mountain, he hears the voice of God. God reveals himself to Moses. Moses. Remember that? I can never read this text without thinking of Charlton Heston (laughs) and that beautiful scene where Moses comes into the presence of God as he manifests himself in this burning bush, a bush that burns but is not consumed. As Moses comes closer, God stops him. Verse 5, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is what? Holy ground. ground. Now, we don't understand this really. I don't think entirely what it means, but what, what I'm getting from the text, which I'm sure you can see too, is that Moses is in the presence of Almighty God and there is something, a gesture that must be made to recognize that he is human and God is God. And God says, take off your shoes, Moses. The place where you're standing is holy ground. This is where prayer begins. It begins with recognizing that we're coming before an almighty God. In fact, I've written in my own notes that in a sense, we all need our own Mount Horeb experience so that it is clear to us that God is holy and that we, apart from the righteousness that Christ works in us, we are not holy We are sinners that are being redeemed by the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this picture of Moses there on Mount Horeb to me is a reminder of how we in our spiritual lives need to see the grandness of God. I'll give you an illustration out of normal life and then we'll tie it back into our spiritual relationship with God. Years ago I had the privilege of doing a tiger cruise on the USS Carl Vincent, what that was was that sailors who were out at sea when they came back on their west pack got to invite family or friends to join them for a leg of the journey coming back into the Oakland Naval Air Station. And I had the privilege of being a part of that with a guy that was in our uh, port of call ministry at the time. He was also in our college ministry. His name was Tim. And he worked it out for my father and me to join him on this tiger cruise now normally they would come from Hawaii all the way in Uh, it didn't work out for that trip so we just went out three days and it was like we were in the middle of the ocean you couldn't see land anywhere and for three days we were aboard the Carl Vincent but I'd seen pictures of these great aircraft carriers of course movies and clips where you see the planes landing and they're just awesome and huge but it wasn't until I was walking up the gangplank onto this aircraft carrier that I began to sense the enormity of this ship. It was amazing. Walking into the hangar bay that is multiple football field size where... Jets, when they're out at sea, are stored in this hangar bay and then they come up in an elevator. There's six floors, 6,000, I believe it was, 6,000 people aboard this aircraft carrier. It's like a, there's shopping mall, there's places to get your hair cut, there's all, you know, there's a giant kitchen, a great galley where people would eat. And of course, the first day we were out there, we're all eating big ribs and everything and guys are getting sick and it was amazing. It was just, it was an incredible experience. The first hour on this ship, I got so excited. I just took off exploring and I got so lost. I couldn't find my way back to where I needed to go. I finally with the help of some sailors that were aboard the ship got me back to where my father was and where Tim was. I said, "Where have you been? We've been looking for you." I got lost. This thing was so huge. It was enormous. Now, just have that in your mind for a minute and realize this. When God calls us into his presence, he wants us not to trivialize himself. He doesn't want us to come and say, oh, God, it's you again. Hey, five, high five. He wants us to recognize right here, this is the way we pray, hallowed be your name. We recognize that you are sovereign over the creation. You are Lord over all. And that should bring us to a place of true humility. When was the last time you needed to kick your shoes off because you knew, symbolically, you knew you were in the presence of God? Over the course of your spiritual journey in Christ, I hope you can think of many times where you recognize that this was just a holy moment. We've had holy moments like that right here at Neighborhood in services. Every week we pray for them. Sometimes God shows up in extraordinary ways that we can't even explain. And sometimes in our own hearts, where everybody else is just moving along and we're having a beautiful worship experience, somebody is being wrecked by grace. Someone three rows down, someone two seats over is just being wrecked by God's grace. He's showing up and he's saying, take off your shoes. You're standing before me. And I hope every time we come to worship, we have that anticipation, God, you're going to meet me here. I remember the first time I recognized the presence of God in a powerful way in my life. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. We were up in a little a place called Sugar Pine, California up in the foothills of the Sierras. It was a summer camp. I was a sophomore going into my junior year. I was a Christian at the time, but I'd been kind of living like with my friends at school, kind of doing the stuff they were doing. Not huge compromise, but not living for Jesus, not being a witness for Him, not really standing out, not really living my life out loud as a Christ follower. I was blending in. I was like a chameleon. That was my testimony as a young person. I was fitting in until I went to this camp. And the speaker, not after night talked as if he was talking right to me I thought maybe my parents had been sending him notes during the week before he got to the camp because every message was about me and about the middle of the week he got up and he shared the gospel and he shared how we had to live for Christ I don't even remember the man's name but I remember suddenly realizing I was in the presence of Almighty God and God was calling me he was moving me in my heart into a new place in my life and I knew I needed to go I remember walking down an aisle because he had called us forward. I went into a little prayer room where there were people there, counselors who met with us. I remember the counselor saying, why are you here? And I said, I just know I need to live my life fully for God. And I remember after that beautiful little prayer time, walking outside and looking up at the starry host and just crying out to God and saying, God, if you would use me in my life, I can remember that little patch of dirt at Sugar Pine and years later I can think of dozens of experiences much like that sometimes driving in my car sometimes on the mountainside sometimes on a backpack trip sometimes right here in Castor Valley sometimes out under the crosses sometimes right in this room with all the lights out before anybody's come sometimes standing right here at a pulpit preaching the word of God where I feel the spirit of God say you are on holy ground when was the last time When was the time you knew that God was speaking to you? It's a beautiful, enriching experience. And Jesus said, when you pray, you pray this way, knowing that your focus is on him, almighty God. Listen, let me ask you a question. How long could you go in prayer if if all you did was extol God's name as holy? How long? Some of us could only go about 10 seconds. We don't even know what it means. So I want to invite you as Jesus invites you. When you pray, pray this way. Start with thinking of the reverence of God. Start with thinking of the holiness of God. Start with thinking of how awesome He is that He's sovereign over all creation. Listen, prayer begins with worship. Or it really doesn't begin. Number two, praying this way helps us not only focus our attention, it helps us to forge deeper worship. All right, so we're talking about worship. Let's keep going here. When we make God the focus of our prayer, you know what we're doing? We're worshiping. When we make God the focus of our singing, you know what we're doing? We're worshiping. Whether it's in musical worship, whether it's in prayer worship, whether it's in conversational worship, whether it's in serving the community or even working at your job as unto the Lord, everything you do with the right motive as unto the Lord is worship. And so prayer helps us forge deeper worship. If you're still um, in the Old Testament, go right to the book of Isaiah. Let's go over to Isaiah just for a minute. You'll find that on page 1068 in your book rack Bible. The book of Isaiah. And here's a picture of this heavenly throne room. Isaiah 6. This is something that Isaiah alone needed from God and yet we get the beauty of sharing it seeing it it's fascinating in the year that King Uzziah died Isaiah says I saw the Lord seated on, the throne, on a throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphs these are, these are spiritual beings they're angelic beings seraphs each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying they were calling out to one another look at what they were saying Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Wow. I mean, this is a vi- this is a heavenly vision that is a beautiful reminder as when we see who God really is, man, things are shaken and moving and there's There's power and brilliance and glory that words can't even describe. As a result of Isaiah hearing this, and by the way, the little threefold, holy, 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 what does that mean? Some people think it's the Trinity. It's probably not necessarily. This is a Hebraism Hebraism of the way that the writer would say and the way God would communicate full completeness. Completeness, completeness. God is holy through and through. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Listen, if we could just understand that right now, the whole earth is full of his glory, and yet we human beings and most people on the planet are going through our lives without any recognition of the holiness or the greatness or the awesomeness of God because our hearts are rebellious and we worship the creation more than the Creator, or rather than the Creator. And until God turns on that little point in our heart that causes us to see, and so you know what he's saying to do? When we come into his presence to pray, we're praying, God, let the whole earth see the glory that is due you. Let everybody see your renown, Lord. Let the nation see your renown. Let my community see your renown. Let my block where I live see your renown. Let people, when they see where I live right here, that I'm a worshiper of the God of the heavens. And by the way, what happens to Isaiah in that moment? How does he respond to that vision? Well, uh, you know, some people say, well, I met God, I had an experience with God, and man, it was so awesome, he was just like my friend, and we just went out, we spent time. You know, Isaiah falls down on his face in verse 5, And woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Boy, we could spend a little time here. But you know what this is saying? This is that when you see the glory of God, your first response is not, God, would you give me some money? Would you give me a job? Lord, I got some problems. Would you fix these weird people in my life? No. When you get a vision of who God is, you know what it does? It drives you to your face to say, God, how would you ever be able to look upon me? I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner more than you know I'm a sinner. And you know you're a sinner more than I think you're a sinner. We're all sinners before a whole, almighty, holy God. And aren't you glad, beloved, by the work of Christ? Watch this. The angel comes from the altar, takes the tongs from the altar, the burning coal, and he places it, touches the mouth of Isaiah, and he says, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your guilt and your sin atoned for. And then the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? I've written in my notes that when you see the glory of God, and you respond in humility and contrition, you hear what he wants you to do. You're waiting for God to tell you what you you need to be doing with your life. You're wondering what your future should be. Get before a holy God and sit before him and let him speak to your life. In the the Gospels, we have the story of Peter. Remember, Peter, he's out fishing all night. Jesus comes walking along the shore. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Peter's fishing away, and Jesus said, Have you caught anything? And of course, they hadn't. And, And Jesus said, Why don't you put your nets on the other side? And Peter said, Lord, we've been fishing all night, but because you say, we'll do it. So they throw the nets on the other side. And the Bible says there was such a huge take of fish, they couldn't even get them in the boat. And when Peter saw all this, I love Peter's response. Does he say, oh God, could you fix my problems? i got a lot of problems in my life. Peter's response, away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And from that moment, Jesus said, from now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Listen, forging deeper worship in our lives means, among other things, seeing God and serving him with our lives. Are you serving him today? That's the proper response of the person who has seen the Lord. What is What does this phrase, hallowed be your name, do in our hearts and in our prayers? It focuses our attention. Say it with me. It forges deeper worship. Number three, it plays a big part of fortifying our witness. It fortifies our witness. Say that with me. It fortifies our witness. Okay. So names mean something. In the Bible, everywhere you read about names, names mean something. Your name probably means something. I don't know if you know what your name means. Some people in America, you know, Western world, we know what our names mean. Not everybody does. But in the ancient world, everybody knew what their names meant. And you were given a name usually based on the circumstances that brought you into this world. And I always think about, you know, poor Hosea and Gomer, unfaithful Gomer's kids where God gave them names, you know, how would you like to have a name like, I will no longer show love to the house of Israel? <laughs> that was the name of one of their kids. I mean, that's what the name meant. Or how about, you are not my people and I'm not your God. I've been reading through the book of Samuel, in 1 Samuel 4, remember Eli who allowed his wicked sons to serve in the, in the, at the tabernacle, and, um, or, yes, at the tabernacle, and as they were uh, going in and out and carrying on with their ways, of course, uh, they got all proud, and the Philistines are their enemies, and, and of course, one day, the Philistines come, and they, they capture the ark of God, and they take it away, and in the midst of the battle, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed in the battle. A runner comes back from the battle, and he tells Eli, the priest, he says, he says terrible news, the ark is captured, and by the way, both your sons are dead. And Phineas, one of his sons, had a pregnant wife at the time. And when she heard the news, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 4, that she went right into labor and she was given birth to a son. And she was in such heartache over all of what had happened, she named her son, you remember his name, Ichabod. You know what the name means? The glory has departed from Israel. How'd you like to do with your life with that name? Hi, what's your name? The glory has departed? Oh, that's nice. That's good. It's a reminder of what's going on. I'm building my argument that names have a meaning. And we have two things that go with our name. We have identity and we have reputation. Your identity is, are things that happen on your, you know, if you pull out your license, that's your name. I'm Larry. On a credit card, Larry Vold. On a passport, Larry Arnold Vold. That's my name. That's my identity. That's who I am. And if you say that doesn't matter, ask somebody who's had identity theft. It matters. Your identity matters. But even more so, what matters is your reputation. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. And if you wonder about that, just think about companies like Enron or, or wherever there's been sort of a smearing of a of, of reputation, something that once was good that is no longer good. I mean, before 1994, the name O.J. Simpson was a football star and a fledgling actor positive reactions since 1994 there's not the same reaction to that name because you can smear your name so when god says hallowed be when jesus said pray this way hallowed be your name we're saying lord let your identity and let your reputation be seen and and covered and protected in the way i live let me not bring any reproach to your name This past week in the sporting world, something curious. I don't know how many of you are basketball fans. I tend to like basketball, one of my favorite sports. And there's a guy in the NBA whose name up until last year was Ron Artest. He was the big bad boy, played with the Pacers, always getting in fights, going into the crowd, don't like the call, wants to fight. So he's going to change his persona. So he changes his name. Last year, he becomes Meta World Peace. That's his name. Meta means kind and benevolent one and his last name is world peace so on his jersey with the la lakers you see world peace and world peace goes up for the basket oh world peace it's just a kind of a weird thing so last week they're playing the thunder and World Peace does a ferocious dunk, and he comes off the dunk, and he's all, it's a close game. They're coming down to the end, and he's running next to an Oklahoma City Thunder guy. His name is James Harden, and World Peace said, doesn't say anything. He just takes his arm and goes, wham, and James Harden, right in the back of his head, knocks him out, goes right to the ground. And this was on ESPN, this big slow motion And James Harden going to the ground. And every commentator on the world saying, that's not world peace. That's not world peace. And I was was watching this. I was infuriated. That guy had to be kicked out of the league. Who does he think he is? And I'm going on and on and on. All of a sudden I feel the Spirit of God say, hey, have you ever contradicted your name? Oh, yeah. Okay, change the channel. No longer I'm on that anymore. How many times as Christ followers... Do we, by what we say, by what we do, by our actions, by our attitudes, by our words, bring reproach to the name of God? God, my friend, has placed His name on our lives. Christ follower. Christ follower. I don't know about you, but I don't want to mar that name. I don't want to bring a reproach to the name of God. God's big about his name, isn't he? Exodus 20, verse 7. One of the Ten Commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. How many people will you hear this week using God's name in vain? And even Christians. Oh my! And they'll say it when they found a good sale at Kmart, you know? Or or just in the conversation with their friends. And I hear Christians all the time using God's name in a flippant Not worshipful manner. We have to be really careful about using his name. Why? Because God's going to throw a lightning bolt and strike us? No. But it misuses his character. So people look at us and they trivialize the God that we say whose name ought to be hallowed. Jesus said when you pray, pray this way. It fortifies your witness. Well, one last thing quickly. Praying this way not only focuses our attention, forges deeper worship, fortifies our witness, but it also helps us foresee our future. And uh, we could spend a little more time on this, and we will get back to this when we talk about the petition next week, your kingdom come. But here it's as if God wants us to be reminded that there's coming a day where all the world will see that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 9-11, right? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you realize that I think embedded in this idea of praying when you come, when we pray, we should pray, hallowed be your name. We should always be coming realizing that someday all of humanity will stand before God and those who by grace have been saved will say, along with those who are not saved... And I'm just looking at the macro of judgment here where the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But listen, at the judgment it will be too late. Everyone's going to see that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone is going to see that God's name is hallowed. But right now we have the privilege of taking his name into our world and praying that his name be renowned. We'll follow up with that more. But I just want to encourage you with this little thought this morning that if you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, today can begin the day where you hallow his name in your life. He loved you, and this is the way he loved you. He sent his own son, his precious son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins and with the power of Almighty God raised him from the dead to conquer sin and death and to give you and to give me purpose and life that could never be given in any other way and that is a free open, offer, invitation to anyone here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I think we've only scratched the surface of what this means. But Lord, truly your name is great. Your name is high. No other name given under heaven by which men must be saved Mm -hmm. but the name of Jesus And so when we come and we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, oh Lord, we want to say with our lives, with our words, with our friendships, with our jobs, with our living conditions, with our place in this society, we want to say, God, your name is renowned. You are great. You deserve all the glory. And Lord, until you wake us up out of our spiritual stupor, And show us that by your grace we can be saved. We just, we continue to only want to promote our name, our cause, our stuff. And so, Lord, do the miracle in someone's heart right now. And for those of us who know you, Lord, bring us back to center today. That prayer begins with worshiping you. Help us to say it hundreds of times during the week, thousands of times during the week. Oh, God, your name is great. Be glorified in my life. Let people see your renown. Let the world see your renown. Let nations see your renown. Let nations in the world who've never heard the name Jesus see your renown. Give us favor, God. Take us to the ends of the earth. And if this morning you need a relationship with Christ, open your heart right now and simply invite him in. Admit that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and he will come in. And he will live his life in you right now. So, Lord, have your way in this time. We ask your res- the response would be sweet to you. Your will be done, Lord, on earth, right here, as it is in heaven. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Everybody. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages, or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.